All right, so week three of filters. Um, let me just give you this quick, uh, quick um, recap. Why, why is it called filters? Filters, they, they're the way that we see the world, right? So this is how we see the world. Um, my guess is that when you were growing up and somebody said to you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? You, know, you didn't say a prisoner, am I right? Am I, did I get that right? Anybody here were like, when I grow up, I hope I go to jail. Okay, good. I thought I was in good company, right? So you didn't say that, but, but this morning we're going to talk about a filter that actually has put a lot of us in prison. And so here's the time that we're going to say our prayer. We have a, a filter prayer. If you're kind of joining us um, today and you haven't been to any of the other, the other weeks that we've talked about filters, we pray this prayer together at the beginning because this is what we need the Holy Spirit to do. So they're going to throw it up on the screens, on the screens as well for you guys at home. And we're just going to read this together at Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Are you ready? Well, here it comes. Read it together. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Now this morning we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. So uh, whether you're turning to it or scrolling to it, however you're interacting with the Bible today, while you're, while you're scrolling or turning, let me just remind you about why filters are so important, okay? And this is something that we all agree with. You see it all the time. Um, filters affect how we perceive life. Right? So um, it doesn't change what we're looking at. It just changes how we see what we're looking at. We, we also recognize that filters um, are something that all of us have, but the crazy thing is that usually our filters are invisible to us and obvious to others. And, and in the same way, it's like you can look at somebody else and go, oh, I see your filter, right? But they don't see it. And so you keep trying to tell them, like, you've got this filter. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then third, and maybe the most important of all, is that if we don't, if we don't learn to deal with our filters, then they can become permanent. How many of you have ever heard the expression, um, perception is reality? And it's true, right? Except that it's not. Perception actually isn't reality. It's your reality. And so if we don't, if we don't recognize the filters and remove them, then what happens is our perceived reality becomes our permanent reality. It'll change how you see the world for the rest of your life. And so each week when we, when we come to the Word of God, we start to see what it's talking about with this, like the filter that we're dealing with that week. We're asking the Holy Spirit to help us do three things, right, just three. We want to recognize the filter, we want to remove the filter, and we want to replace the filter, Okay. Some of y'all are like, is this, is this auto mechanics? What's going on right now? Right? We want to recognize the filter. We want to remove it and replace it. So a couple weeks ago we talked about pride, right? And I think all of us probably recognize that we have a filter of pride. And so we ask God, help us to remove that and replace it with a filter of humility so that we would see the world through that filter. Um, this morning we're going to talk about another fun one. Are you excited? Yeah, we're going to talk about the filter of offense. I know that nobody here ever gets offended with anybody, right? But we're going to talk about the filter of offense, and we're going to ask God to help us replace it with the filter of forgiveness. Here's why that's so important. Because, and this is your big idea, offenses turn fences into prison walls. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, how many of you know people 
that really push your buttons. Anybody? <laughs> Everybody I get behind on the road on Monday, right? Um, so all of us recognize that there are certain people in our lives, whether they're family, maybe coworkers, uh, maybe a teacher, maybe a student, friend, whatever, and, and just the fact that they're in our lives, we're like, I need a fence. <laughs> I need some boundaries between me and that person. And what I want you to hear right away up front is that that's okay. Okay? So this, I'm not, we're not talking about, hey, you need to get rid of those fences. Because sometimes you need to have boundaries in place. Um, one of my, I chuckle every time I read it. There's a verse in Romans 12 that says, as far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. And I, I counsel people a lot, and I'll tell them this. Like, there are some people that the only way to live at peace with them is to be as far as possible, right? Like, you, we, just, we all have those people in our lives. So I don't want you here or at home to, to listen to this message and think that what I'm telling you is, like, we're just going to teach this message and then pray and then poof, it's all going to be okay because there are hard people in our lives. And, we, and those relationships are tough. What I want you to see, though, is if we don't deal with those relationships, and that's what we're talking about today. If we allow that to fester and become an offense, then it turns that fence, that natural, normal boundary, into a prison wall. And it doesn't put them in prison. It puts us in prison. Are you with me? You got what I'm saying? Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go one verse at a time. I'm literally, if I do this right, and I'm praying that God helps us do this right, what's going to happen is you're going to feel like I'm taking Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, and I'm holding it in my hand like a sponge, and I'm squeezing every last drop of truth out of these verses. That's what I want to do today. So I don't want you to walk away going, man, Paul was brilliant today. I want you to walk away and go, man, those six verses, wow, they were packed with the truth of God, right? That's the goal. Um, and so if we're going to come to the Word of God humbly, we don't do this all the time, but I'm going to ask you this morning to stand up as we read the Word, just to honor the Word of God. Um, you guys at home, if you want to, you're like, that's awkward. No, I just think honoring the Word of God, just to stand up, and I'll read it. And so we're Luke 17, verses 1 through 6, and here's what it says. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Father, this is your word, and I'm just going to be a spokesperson. And I'm praying as we take the next few moments and we just kind of walk through these six verses, and we look at offense, God, and this filter of offense that is so prevalent in our culture right now. I just pray, God, that your spirit would... Do what we've asked. Help us to recognize the filter of offense and help us to remove it. And God, help us to replace it with a filter of forgiveness. In your name, Jesus, amen. As you're sitting down, tell somebody it's going to be good. 
Okay, 25% of you have confidence in me. I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> right? Here we go, verse 1. Let's, um, verse, yeah, verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, first thing I want you to notice is who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples. We say this a lot at the gathering because we love people. And if you're in the room this morning and you're not following Jesus, you're on the fence about being a Christian, um, I want you to know first and foremost, man, it's good to have you here. Right? We love that you're here. Maybe you're tuned in online because you're just like, I couldn't find anything else to watch. And here you're watching. And you're not into the Jesus thing. And we're so glad that you're here. What I know to be true is that as we teach through the Bible, there'll be these little nuggets that you'll be like, that's really good stuff. I can probably use that tomorrow at work. Like, I got jerks at work, and this will help me get along with those jerks. And it's true. But the, the teaching here is to his disciples. And the reason that's important. It's because I don't know about you, but I know for me and for Wendy, when there are just times that we read Scripture, and we're like, God, we, we can't pull that off. We cannot do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that's given to his disciples. Does that make sense? So if you're here this morning, you're following Jesus, this is for you, right? Um, if you're not, it, it can be for you. We'd love to help you start a relationship with Jesus. Um, let me break it down to you like verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4, and then verses 5 and 6. Here's the basic premise of what we're going to do. It's all about offense. So verses 1 and 2 is going to talk about what happens when we cause an offense. In verses 3 and 4, we're going to talk about what happens when we take an offense. And in verses 5 and 6, we're going to talk about all that stuff, like what we, what we do whenever those things are happening, okay? So he's talking to his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, things that cause people to sin. He says, things that cause people to sin. Verses 1 and 2 are going to warn us not to cause an offense. And that phrase, it might, in your verse, it might say stumble, it might say stumbling block. But what it means is a trap. The Greek word means a trap. So things that trap people. That's what this is talking about. If you're a hunter, hunters in the house go, Whoa, right? If you're a hunter, then like you know what it means to trap something. You might, you might track them, and then you set a trap because you want to catch them. And what, God, what Jesus is saying here is like those traps, those things, they're going to come. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. And the problem is they're inevitable, and they come through people. Like just Give a side eye to the person next to you. Yeah. That person could be a person who causes you offense. We don't typically get offended at things. We get offended at the people behind the things, right? So you might be at, I don't know, Target, and there's a lot of people in line, and you read the sign that says if there's more than three, they'll open up another lane, and ain't nobody moving. And you start tapping your foot like offended people tend to do. And you're like, I'm just mad at the policy. No, you're not mad at the policy. You're mad at the people behind the policy who aren't enforcing the policy. Do you see what I'm saying? Offenses are bound to come. There's always going to be something in our lives that can trip us up and trap us. And it's always going to come through people. And Jesus says this at the end of verse 1. Woe to anyone through whom they come. And I'm telling you, anytime you see the word woe in the Bible, we should all say woe, right? And I don't mean like, whoa, he's hot, right? I mean like, whoa, what is that doing there? And it should cause us to pause. Now, it doesn't, he's not talking about like eternal damnation type of a woe. So he's not saying, sorry, Wendy, 
it's impossible for offense not to come, and what are the people that it comes to, and it came through you, so you're out, right, forever. He's not saying that. This isn't about, like, eternal destination. The Greek word literally means to have a deep sense of sorrow and grief. And so what he's saying is, man, if, if you are the one through whom offense comes, if you cause an offense, you're putting yourself in a position to experience deep grief, deep sorrow. How deep? Somebody say, how deep? Well, apparently deep enough that he would say verse 2. It would actually be better to have verse 2 happen to you than it would be to have offense come through you. And in verse 2 he says it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Now, this is not about rapper bling. Okay, I think we have a picture of Flava Flay's clock, right? I think we have that somewhere in there. Um, it's not about what they wear around their necks, like, like jewelry. He's talking about like an actual mill stone. So they would, they would use this to, to make, like they would grind wheat and kernels and get the grain out. And so there would be this huge rock that would be stationary. they put all the stuff inside it. There would be another stone on top that would turn and it would grind all of that wheat. And this top stone, that was the millstone. It was so heavy that men didn't turn it. They had to put a donkey on the, the bar, and the donkey would walk around and turn that millstone. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. It, it, it could weigh hundreds to thousands of pounds. And he's saying it would be better to put a 1,000 pounds around your neck than to cause these little ones of mine to stumble. And he doesn't mean little ones like kids. He's in, in this in this um, context, he's teaching about new disciples, people who are new to the faith, people that might be grown up, but they're young in their faith. And he's saying it's better not to cause those to stumble. He's saying it's so bad to cause an offense that it would be better for you to have that around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Again, he's not saying that if that happens, like if you cause an offense, this is your destination, you're also going to get thrown into the sea. He's just saying anybody that thinks about having a millstone around their neck and being thrown to the sea should say to themselves, I don't want that. And he's saying if you don't want that, you also don't want verse 1. You don't want to be the one who causes an offense. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 5 that says this. Therefore, verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, he doesn't say if you're at church and you realize that you're mad at somebody. He says if you're singing, you're worshiping, and suddenly you realize that somebody might be mad at you, you've caused an offense. If you remember that, then leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In essence, Jesus is saying, stop singing. Stop worshiping. Go make it right. Don't bring your gift to me. I, I want you to see a couple things about that passage. Number one, I believe this. I believe that every time we come to the altar to worship, every the altar here or the altar here in the room, like we come to church to worship, every time we come to worship, we're going to be reminded of reconciliation, right? Because that's what the altar represents. The cross was where Jesus reconciled us back to God. So every time we start to sing, every time we start to worship, every time we start to engage God, we're going to be reminded of reconciliation. And I want you to see, too, that his presence always reminds us of people that need to be reconciled. 
sometimes I think, I think that we try to turn the volume up on our worship so we can't hear God screaming the people that we need to make ourselves right with. And I believe that that church is so guilty of that, y'all. We come in here, we just like, crank up that Bethel music. Make it really loud because I, I keep trying to worship God, but I keep thinking about that person who might be mad at me. I don't want to think about that right now, so I just try to push out, turn the volume up, sing a little bit louder, and God's like, stop. Just turn all the volume off. Like, just stop. There's, there's actually a, a, a section of old, in the Old Testament, he just is like, away from me with the noise of your songs. Like, stop singing. Remember that? <laughs> like, away from me with the noise of your songs. Like, stop this. And make it right with one another. He takes offense that seriously. Here's the point of the first two verses. When we cause offense, we seek forgiveness. You see that? When we're the ones that cause offense, and listen, filter of pride was a couple weeks ago. So hopefully none of us are sitting here going, well, I could never be the one that makes somebody mad. Uh, if you're breathing, you can make somebody mad, right? Sometimes... Your breathing makes people mad. Have you noticed that? They're like, stop breathing so loud. Like, I'm just trying to get oxygen. I don't know what to do, right? So don't think for a second that you couldn't possibly be the one that causes an offense. And so when you do cause an offense, seek forgiveness. Verse 3, Jesus, he kind of pauses and he says what I would say is the hinge of the whole teaching. He says, so watch yourselves. What, what is Jesus saying there? We say, look, the first two verses talk about when we cause an offense, right? And then the next two verses are going to talk about when we take an offense, if somebody does something to hurt us. And right in the middle of that, he says, but I need you to watch yourselves. I need you to pay attention because it's impossible for people to not get offended. It's very possible that you could be the one who causes an offense, and it's really possible that you're going to take an offense. So I need your eyes wide open. I need you alert. I need you paying attention. Uh, we were on a mission trip. And we were in Guatemala, and so we're, we're doing this ministry with teenagers, and they told us, like, look, Guatemala is a safe place, but when you're on a mission trip and they say, but, you're like, that's the part I need to know, right? And they said, here's the deal. You don't, you're going to go out in villages all around, and you're going to minister during the day, but make sure you're back in Guatemala City before it gets dark. You do not want to be out on those back roads when it's dark in Guatemala. And we're like, well, why not? Because of gorillas. And I'm like, I'm thinking zoo gorillas, you know. And they're like, no, the, the camo gorillas with the machine guns and, like, the barricades and, like, give us your money, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, so like, you don't want to be out there when that happens. And they said at nighttime they will set up barricades on these dirt roads. So we go out to this village one day, and we had to, like, drive down this dirt road into the village. And while we're down there doing our mission work, they had, like, the rain that we just had yesterday. They had that kind of a rain, but it was, like, for an hour. And so that dirt road turned into this mud road, and they're like, you can't go back out. You literally couldn't get the van back up. So we had to stay there until the sun came out, kind of baked it, dried up some, and then we could get out. By the time we're leaving that village, it was already dark. So we're driving back to the city. It's dark. I know because I'm the youth pastor, we're not supposed to be out on the road after dark. The person driving the speed the light van knows we're not supposed to be there. The missionary knows we're not supposed to be there. The teenagers are just like trying to date each other, right? Like this is how the mission trip goes, right? Hand check, right? 
It's like we're driving back, and all of a sudden, it's dark. The headlights are on, and, like, mission vehicles are like, you got two headlights, but they barely show you anything in front of the road, right? It's like you might see 10 feet ahead of you, but just enough not to go over the ditch or into the ditch. So, like, we're driving down this road, and all of a sudden, we see this motion, and out of the woods pops this figure that lands right in front of us, like, and we screamed, and he screamed, and then he jumped back into the woods. And we were like, what in the world? And it turned out it was like this little 12-year-old kid. I don't know what possessed him to jump in front of a moving vehicle, but he moved in, he jumped in front of our car, and, like, he thought we were going to run over him, and we thought he was going to shoot us with, like, guerrilla weapons and stuff, and it was just nothing except from that point forward until we got back into Guatemala City. How do you think we were in the car? Eyes wide open, on the edge of our seat, looking at the woods. We were just like you are when you doze off while you're driving, and you are wide awake for at least another minute, right? That's how we were. And so when he says, watch yourselves, he's saying, take this teaching that seriously. Like you could cause somebody to be offended and not even know it. But if you do, hey, while you're worshiping, I'll be a good father and remind you. And then you'll need to go take care of that. Or you might actually take offense at somebody. I need you to watch yourselves and be on guard. So verse, verse 3, he says this. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you. Did y'all chuckle at that? Were y'all like, if? You mean when, right? Like don't people just get under your skin all the time? He says, if they sin against you, Rebuke them. What I want you to remember from that verse is that Jesus is saying, have a conversation. Can I tell you what we typically do in the church world when somebody hurts us? We pack our bags, we take our toy, and we go home. We find another church, we uproot whatever, and we do it. You do it at your job. You do it with your friends. We, we, it's an epidemic in our society. Well, you hurt me. You did something against me, and I'll show you. And so I'll just take my stuff and go somewhere else. And Jesus says, hey, maybe that will happen. But before that, have a conversation. Have enough of a conversation that you can point out to them what they did to you, that what they did was wrong, and, and rebuke them. It doesn't mean go, go all like, you know, angry preacher on them, like, I'm telling you what you did was wrong. It just means have a conversation, point out to them what happened, how you perceived it. And if they repent, forgive them. I love that part. And then verse 4 says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Are you, am I the only one in verse 4 that's like keeping score? Like, wait, how many times again? Like, okay, if you come back eight times, I'm going to punch you, right? Like, no. He's like, what he's saying is, no matter how many times they come back, like, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. Don't take offense, but forgive. There's a verse, I think, sheds some light here, Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. We're like, okay, we got that, right? But just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let me ask you this question. How did God forgive you? Well, there was that one time at the cross. Yes, right? Like that one time at the cross, that forgiveness at the cross, that, we trust the cross. It secures our salvation forever. But it also puts us into a relationship, yes, with a God who we can hurt. And, and we do things against God all the time, y'all. 
I don't need forgiveness once. I need forgiveness like once a minute, right? Like every single day, daily. Like at night I go to sleep, I'm like, God, forgive me today for all the ways that I jacked up our relationship. I might not even known about it, but you've pointed it out, and please forgive me. And guess what God does for me every night? Well, nope, not tonight, buddy. You've, you've blown way past my forgiveness quota. He's faithful and just, 1 John 1, 9, to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And he says here in Ephesians, Paul says that the way God forgave you, that's how you need to forgive one another. So, yeah, they might, they might come back seven times in a day. In a day, y'all. In a day. And he says, forgive. Forgive. Now, when we take offense, we offer forgiveness. So here's what he says. First two verses. If you, you, all, you seek forgiveness when you have offended, right? If you cause the offense, you seek forgiveness. But if you take offense, then you need to offer forgiveness. Man, let those people off the hook. Don't be the punisher, right? Place them in the hands of God is what he's saying here. Now, not that this has ever happened to any of you, but if you've ever had somebody actually come back and ask you to forgive them for the same thing over and over and over again, I'm thinking like family members, can you relate to this, right? You can understand the disciples' response in verse 5. A really short verse, it says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Translation, we can't do that. We cannot do what you just said. So I don't even know what you're going to do, but I guess you need to increase our faith. And I want you to know this, that, that Jesus hears that, right? He's, that's a natural response. I need more faith so that I can do what you just asked me to do. But what they didn't ask for was to increase our love. And I think sometimes that's where we are. We're like, hey, just help me love people more. As a matter of fact, think for just a second. I'm giving you permission. Think about the person in your life who gets on your nerves the most. If you're sitting next to them, do not look at them. Just look straight ahead. Keep your gaze on me, right? How many times have you asked God to help you love them more? And yet here, they didn't ask for God to help them love more. They asked him to increase their faith. And here's why that's important. Love motivates us to forgive, but faith activates the forgiveness. That's really, really critical. They, they knew, I think after they heard this teaching, they knew that this is a truth that they couldn't escape. Forgiveness always involves pain. Have you noticed that? As a matter of fact, next week we're going to celebrate Easter. And can you hear Jesus on the cross saying amen to that point? I'm preaching, I'm like, hey, forgiveness always involves pain. Can you hear Jesus on the cross saying amen to that? Like, uh, yeah, I'm hanging here in pain because I'm, I'm paying the price for your forgiveness. It always involves pain. And so what I want you to see is that faith is what we need to trust the process. Some of you today are going to leave here and you're going to have conversations with people and you're going to offer forgiveness and, and it's, they're not going to change. They're, they're what the world would call toxic, right? It's not going to be any different. And you're going to have to have more faith, not love them more, but just have faith that what you've done is what God called you to do and that it's going to be okay and that he's going to work through that. It's a perfectly legitimate prayer. Increase our faith. Give us more of what we need to do what you just said. What blows my mind is Jesus' answer in verse 6. 
He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, trust me, I'm going to walk you through this. What Jesus basically said in verse 6 was, increase your own faith. I know, it's confusing. I think they were confused too. Here's what he said to them. They said, increase our faith so we can do what you just told us to do. And he said, no, no, you don't need a lot of faith. You can have a little bit of faith as long as it's a living faith. There's a verse in Mark that helps us understand this. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, can we use the word activated? When it's activated, when you put it in the ground, when you do something with that seed, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. A small amount of faith, activated, lives and grows. We see it again in James 2.17. James writes, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Do you get that? Faith without works is dead. But let's flip that around, right? Faith with works lives. So how does, how does our faith increase? You take, um, <laughs> are you still thinking about that person that makes you mad all the time? You take the faith, the little bit of faith, the little bit of faith that, believes that possibly Jesus could change their life, right? Because if they really get under your skin, then you find yourself praying things like, God, save them if you can, <laughs> right? Like, it's so hard to believe that. So you take the little bit of faith that you have and you extend it, you activate it by forgiving that person and leaving them in God's hands. And he says here that when you use that little bit of faith and you put action with that faith, it begins to grow and even though it's a small seed, it can grow until it's the biggest plant in the garden. You might not have what you think you need, but I guarantee you that you have enough. If you'll simply just start. Take the little bit of faith you have and move it in the direction of forgiveness. When you leave here this morning, maybe even before you get home, some of you are going to need to make the phone call. You're going to need to send a text, not while you're driving. You might need to, some of you, are, some of you there's, there's a fence in relationships with people that have already passed away. And some of you are today going to need to write a letter to that person. Just write a letter and, and choose the filter of forgiveness in that relationship. Here's how we're going to end this morning. You want to come play some, some landing music? Oh, yeah. We're going to land this message on a 747. What do you think? Luke 747. It's this great, this great scripture. And here's what Jesus, is, he says, this is going to shed some really good light on how we move forward. Because if, if, if you've heard this correctly, if you've read these verses correctly, you're probably sitting here thinking about all the relationships that might not be fixed with forgiveness, Right? People that, um, man, you've forgiven and forgiven and forgiven and forgiven, and it's not gotten any better. And I want you to remember this, that the goal of, of Jesus' teaching is not to see them changed. It's to see you changed, right? Forgiveness is for us, not for them. 
It's what sets us free. It's what keeps the fences from becoming prison walls, right? And so Luke 7, 47, um, interesting verse. Jesus is at a party, and he's in this religious leader's home, and they're eating and stuff. And this woman comes in, and she starts crying, and she starts, as women often will do, right? She starts crying, and she's like, there's tears everywhere. They're going all over his feet, and she's pouring perfume on him. So there's perfume, there's tears, there's probably like some other stuff there. And she just starts taking her hair, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, it's just a crazy picture, right? And this religious leader is sitting there, and here's what he's thinking. The Bible says he's thinking, well, if Jesus knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't put up with this. Jesus knew that, and so he starts having a conversation with this religious leader, and he, he wraps it up with Luke 7, 47. He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Here's why that matters. I'm saying this last part at the risk of offending you. But if I do offend you, you know what to do, right? We just talked about it. How we love reveals how we've been forgiven. The Bible says that in the, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. The reason that the love grows cold is because they forget how much they've been forgiven. The reason that we can lose our minds on social media is because we forget how much we've been forgiven. We're focused on how much they need to be fixed, and we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven. And so I think this is telling that Jesus would look at a man who thinks he has no sin and tell him, well, this woman that you think is the most sinful person on the planet, she's loving on me because she's been forgiven a lot. She realizes how much she's been forgiven. And I think the key here is that you and I need to take a moment, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you just to take a moment, and I want you to start doing a little inventory. Just for one minute, just listen, for one minute, I don't want you to think about anything else except for this one thought. How much have I been forgiven? Can you do that just for one minute? How much have I been forgiven? Because when we realize how much we've been forgiven, then it's so much easier to forgive. As you're thinking about your life, there's a story in the Bible of a man who was forgiven of a debt of millions and millions of dollars. And he walked away from that encounter of being forgiven of that big of a debt and literally threw another man in prison who owed him pennies on the dollar compared to his debt. And the only reason that you can be forgiven and then not forgive is because you don't really believe that you needed forgiveness in the first place. You and I deserved judgment from the Lord. We deserve anything other than what we've been given because of our sin. And His forgiveness has given us a relationship. And as you think through how much you've been forgiven, I want you now to receive this closing prayer. I'm just going to pray. For those of us in the room, for those of us at home, this song that we sang is so appropriate. When we remember our first love, when we remember how much Jesus has forgiven us, then that love just, it just overflows. And I'm praying that it overflows into those relationships that are hard, that hurt, into conversations that we're all going to have this week with others. Lord, I'm asking that the, the oil of the Holy Spirit would just flow into those areas 
not where not where we're hoping you fix the other person, but into the areas where we ourselves need to be healed. I pray that we would have the courage, God, to seek forgiveness where we have hurt others. That we would be quick to respond when you highlight areas where we have hurt others. And that we would, man, be even quicker to offer forgiveness to people who have hurt us. You know, we're not putting, we're not taking them off the hook. We're not saying, hey, everything you did was perfect and great. And hey, thanks for hurting me. What we are doing is we're, we're releasing them from our judgment, God. We no longer want to be the ones that hold that over them. And we want to place them into your hands. You said in Romans 12, and it, it's so weird that when we take our hands off of people, we put them in your hands and we leave room for you to deal with them. So, God, this morning we make a decision to see people through the filter of forgiveness. And I pray that we would be marked by it, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.